Hello, Lion Click Nation. This is Ray DeLucci with the Lion Click Thoughts Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Welcome back to another episode of the show. And before we get into it, just a friendly reminder that every Monday I put out a newsletter. It's called Prep List Items. This newsletter goes out and has a 74% open rate right now. So people receiving it seem to be enjoying it. And it basically focuses on information that I found interesting for you guys throughout the week. So um, any new insights of the industry, data on the job market regarding the food industry, uh, tools, uh, really interesting articles, anything that I find interesting, I put into this newsletter and I send to you every Monday. You go to prep list items. Uh, you get prep list items through your email. You go to wineclickhouse.com, put in your email, and you hit subscribe, and you will get that newsletter. Also, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please leave a review. All right, my guest today is someone who I've had the pleasure of being on his podcast, the Chef Timoni Podcast. I will leave a link to it in the description. But my guest today is Graham McLennan. He is a lawyer based in Vancouver, British Columbia. And about 15 years ago, he started volunteering in restaurant kitchens to develop his cooking skills. From 2015 to 2017, Graham stepped completely away from the office world to travel and cook professionally. In Vancouver, he worked with teams at Burdock & Co. and Harvest Community Foods. He cooked aboard the Schooner Passing Cloud in the Great Bear Rainforest and Haida Gwaii with the ecotourism team at Outer Shores Expeditions. As well, Graham considers himself very lucky to have cooked with some amazing chefs in his favorite city to visit, Las Vegas. Graham returned to legal practice in 2017 and started his podcast, Chef Timoni, to stay connected to the culinary world. Since he's worked with many chefs and many lawyers over the years, those are the people Graham talks to most often on his show. While the chefs know the food best, the lawyers have lots to say on the topic as well. And I really had the pleasure of talking with Graham today. Like I said, I've been on his podcast. I'll link that to link his podcast in the description so you can go check it out. And what we really talk about is the intersection of food and law. You know, this is something I don't think I've ever talked about in my podcast. And getting to hear from Graham, someone who's a lawyer, who was really interested in food, who entered the industry and sees it from the outside looking in, I think those perspectives are valuable. And Graham put a lot of work into trying to understand what it means to be a chef, be a cook, be someone who works within the food realm. And so I found that very interesting. I find it very um, awesome that he did that. And I think there's a lot to be learned from someone who's looking from the outside in and seeing the both the similarities and the differences um, with food and law and kind of what that means from a kitchen environment to a corporate environment. So Graham, thank you so much for coming on the show. I hope you all go check out his podcast and here we go. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. All right, Graham, welcome to the show. Good to see you again. I've obviously, uh, we've talked before on yours, but it's good to have you on Line Cook Thoughts podcast. If you want to start by introducing yourself, that'd be great. Thanks, Ray. Thanks very much for having me. I'm really excited to connect with you again and excited to be on Line Cook Thoughts. So my name is Graham McLennan. I live in uh, British Columbia in Canada, just outside of Vancouver in a little tiny town called Gibson's. And uh, we connected through uh, earlier through my love of uh, through my love of food that I that I try to showcase a bit in my own podcast, which is called Chef Demoni. So that's that's me. Perfect. If you can, you share just a little bit about what your podcast entails and kind of what the uh, angle is and what you approach interviewing people in the food industry. 
Sure. I, I would say, you know, it's funny. I was thinking about this when I was listening to your most recent episode. I was listening to it yesterday where you were talking about the importance of other skills and how in the food industry, food is maybe 30% of, of what you do. It's important, but it's, it's not the majority of what you do. So my mm -hmm. show is, as I think about it, it's, it's about food, definitely. And it's, it's about my passion for food, but probably more than that, it's about human stories. That's what I'm really interested in. And it just happens to have a food uh, focus, I would say. So I, I got in the, the background to the whole show is I've worked for most of my life as a lawyer. I, I do that now. Uh, but some time ago I was sort of wrestling with probably an early midlife crisis at the time with, um, you know, is this, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? And so I started, uh, I approached a chef and approached a restaurant and, and started staging there. And, um, well, I really just went in for one shift and said, I didn't even know what the term staging meant at the time. I just knew that I wanted to learn more about cooking. So I approached the chef who is remained a really important uh, mentor in my life and I just asked if I could come into her kitchen and, and she was open to it and so I went in once I had a great time and then went back and went back and went back and then ended up staging pretty regularly and then I took some time off away from the world of offices and and cooked professionally and and now I'm back to law full-time and so I no longer cook professionally but I still love that industry and that whole world so I started the podcast really to stay connected to it. So it's a, it's an excuse really to talk to chefs and to other people who really like food. And then the, the, the sort of the tagline of the show is talking to chefs and sometimes lawyers. And I say that because most of the people I know in my life or many uh, are either chefs or lawyers, right? Because those are the people I've worked with over time. And chefs okay. obviously have some insight into food, but interestingly, so do the lawyers just because everybody does, right? Yeah. And, uh, so, so I've reached out to colleagues in, in both of those communities and, and talked to both of them on the show. Perfect. And regarding, you know, becoming a lawyer, um, what, what specific law do you focus on? Like, what is your day to day like? It's, I, I do a pretty niche practice. I work in the administrative realm. And so, uh, I, I provide, uh, services in the, uh, I guess it's litigation based. Sorry, this is a terrible answer, but it's hard to sort of it's hard <laughs> to good. sort of capture. Um, so not in the private practice sphere, not in the corporate sphere, but in the administrative sphere. So if you think of all of the administrative agencies that exist in in your country and in mine, I kind of work within that realm. Okay, um, but it's 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 good. It's interesting. Uh, I'm very lucky to work with really great people. And so my day-to-day -day life is, uh, work life is good. Work-life balance is actually pretty good, which is important to me. Um, but doesn't satisfy all of the interests that I have. So I try to stay connected to cooking. Yeah, I think there's, you know, being, being a lawyer, I'm sure there's a good amount of workload to be done. And I'm, you know, I don't want to speak for you, but I, I feel like everyone who has a job, there's stressors and you want releases and you want to do things that are like kind of relaxing. And I feel like there's a lot of hobbies out there. A lot of people golf, uh, pick up an instrument, read, but you chose to go work in a restaurant, which is, yeah. I feel like the exact opposite <laughs> of what many would see as like a relaxing and enjoyable time, um, long-term. So for you, what, what was that initial draw to be like, yeah, I think going to work in a restaurant's my, uh, going to be my hobby or my like release <laughs> into a new way of, uh, seeing the world. Yeah, it's, 
You know, it's funny. It started really, I've, I've always loved cooking, like from the time I was a kid cooking with my mom and through, uh, you know, high school and university, I've always really enjoyed cooking, but never did it professionally until well into my 30s, um, maybe even my early 40s. And it was always just a hobby. And so to me, it was always fun. It was always relaxing. Um, and when I, in boy, let's think about about 15 years ago, I changed jobs from a really quite high stress, high hour jobs into a different one that gave me a little bit more free time and gave me some opportunity to explore hobbies, which I hadn't done in a while. And so I did, I'm sure you've seen these, they're, uh, you know, professional cooking schools, they'll put on shows, uh, not shows, they'll put on courses for uh, people, serious amateur classes. So mm -hmm. you come in and you learn whatever, you do a sushi night or you do Mediterranean night and you cook for three hours, eat a meal. And so I did a couple of those just to try to explore a little bit further beyond cooking at home. And they were good, they were fine, but I realized that what I really needed was rote practice and I wasn't going to get that through these courses, at least not in any way I could afford, right? So that's what led me to approaching this chef and seeing if she would have me volunteer in a restaurant, stage in a restaurant. And, and for me at the time, I wasn't, I wasn't even thinking this is going to be high stress. And it wasn't in a way because I was a pure add-on, right? Like uh, yeah. I wasn't, I wasn't a threat to anybody in that kitchen. And, um, I was, I, I literally said, look, I, I think I'm a pretty talented home cook. I love cooking, but I, I don't have any delusions about my abilities in a, in a real professional kitchen. So I'll stand in the corner and peel potatoes to start, you know, just because mm -hmm. I want to learn. Um, and that's what I did. <laughs> What surprised you or shocked you when you got into the kitchen? I mean, I know there's a stigma where um, the culture is that, you know, it's it's always hard. You know, obviously working in restaurants is hard. It's demanding. It's physical. So I'm sure you knew that going in. Was there anything that shocked you your first few times in a professional kitchen coming from a, I would say, more corporate um, lifestyle in terms of work? Yeah, I would say the... Um the, the amount of physical work did surprise me, even though I was uh, anticipating that it would be very different uh, from, from the legal world, the corporate world, the office world. So that was surprising. Uh, the age of my colleagues was very surprising. I think I was 30, even though I shouldn't have been had I stopped to think for two seconds about that. But, mm -hmm. you know, in my legal practice at the time, I was still in the grand scheme of things. I was 37 when I started the staging or started the volunteer and then staging part of things. Um, so that's pretty young in the world of law, right? Like I was wor yeah. working with lots of colleagues who were a lot older than me. And in the kitchen, all of a sudden, I'm working with, you know, 21-year-old kids, which was super fun, right? Mm -hmm. And and then the, uh, you know, my office offices have been reasonably, you know, they're, they're offices, right? So there was a level of informality and joking in the kitchen. I can't say it shocked me. It delighted me in many ways. It was just, a, it was just a lot of fun. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah. It's interesting, right? I feel like it's, a, it's such a weird, interesting dynamic. I feel like I felt that way, you know, being 25, um, working in restaurants and then now working in like food development, um, definitely going to the more corporate world. I'm kind of on the younger side of, uh, I would say my colleagues and what I do. And I feel like for 
I just feel like the perspectives of where you should be at in your career and probably like moving forward where you where you're going. Like I feel like by 25, 26, 27, for a lot of people, if you're not like near executive chef or near like the top of that food chain, um, it you, it feels kind of daunting. But like you just said, like you were what, 37, and there's colleagues much more experienced than you, and it, it there's just like more years put in, and it's just like such a longer timeline. I think it has to do with the physicality of cooking. In that you're probably your best, um, you're probably like your best, like going into the kitchen is like to work really hard and be and like when you don't have any responsibilities when you're young. Um, so I feel like for that, mm-hmm. like that is very much a skill to not have the responsibilities of like family and stuff. And some people do and still make it work. But when you're going in, like when you're 19, 20, like that's when you are really able to like put in those really long hour days. And then as you grow, there's like other things going on in life. So for you, though, was it shocking to see kind of people at such a young age probably feeling like, I don't, I don't know, maybe they didn't feel this way, but I feel like a lot of people around my age feel like there is this like very shortened timeline to getting to chef, whereas for you, your career, probably getting to your where you want to be is a decades-long experience. Yeah, it's totally different. You reach um, peak, I, I'm not sure if that's the right word, but in terms of your skill set, it's... My experience in law has been longer is better in many, many ways. And still, I don't have the same energy levels I did at, you know, 28 or whenever I started now that I'm 52. But um, it's it's easier to do that in an office setting, right? Whereas, um, yeah, what, what really surprised me or one thing that really surprised me was the level of expertise of these people who are 21 and 22. And again, if you start when you're 17 and you're doing this, to your point, lots of hours early on in your career of course that's where you develop the expertise right it's interesting like like you're saying that concentration of talent that concentration of i would say like skill set like you learn everything really really quickly and then it's just like go ahead like make the fundamentals work and so there is like this level of expertise that you would find in someone that that is much younger in their relative career than maybe other professions and so I, I think it's an interesting dynamic for sure to see like that compared to like cor- like corporate type environments or like environments outside of the food world that there is such a concentration of knowledge when you're already so young in your career. And I think also though that's what leads to a lot of burnout later on is you're, you're pushing at extreme speeds in the beginning stages of your career, and then there's not that longevity process for a lot of people where they'll get burnt out by the time they're thirty, by the time they're forty, because they've been doing two decades nonstop, probably what you would do in like four anywhere else so <laughs> that's right well and t- i think you made this point in in your most recent episode that's where people are well advised to start thinking about what other aspects of the food industry or you know or work generally appeal yeah. to them right and i think that's really not known to customers of restaurants i think people from the outside focus on and it matters the creativity and the ingenuity behind dishes and that kind of thing yeah and that's all great and that's one very important part of cooking but there's also then as soon as that dish is conceived and perfected then there are a lot of 18 hour days knocking it out right again and again definitely yeah it, it is it was so interesting so for you, then, obviously, over the last few years, you've been doing a lot of, uh, you've interviewed chefs, you interview people in law, and you've had this really cool experience, I would say, of having that, like, these two things you love, your main career, and then what you like on the side, kind of delve into this, uh, or meld into this uh, project that you've been working on. 
What differences do you see in regards to problem solving comparing a chef to a lawyer? Like, what are some of the similarities and what are some of the differences you noticed? I, honestly, I see more similarities than I do differences. Um, I think in, in some ways, and depending on your practice, lawyers may have the luxury of more time to solve things and to sit back and think about things and to get things done in several drafts and consult with colleagues. And that's a vast generalization. As, as I say, it depends on the lawyer and, and the practice area and the client and, and, and all of that kind of thing. So maybe there is more time on the legal side um, to deal with things when there just isn't, right? When you're in the midst of uh, service or if you're in the rush of prep and trying to get your mees all, all organized. Um, so there may be that difference. On the similarity side, I see so much of it. I see a bunch of talented, driven people are, are drawn to both careers. A lot of type A people are drawn to the careers. A lot of perfectionists are drawn to the careers. And I think in both spheres, that creates wonderful service and wonderful products to clients. And I think it makes it hard on the people who are drawn to those careers because we are driven in type A and, and perfectionists, or many of us are, right? Yeah. Um, so I see that. And then I see the one of the biggest things, uh, similarities that I see between the two careers is the difference uh, between the outside perspective of what goes on and then what actually happens when you're working in the job. And I think both lawyers and chefs are glamorized in our society to a certain degree. People are like, oh, you're a chef. Oh, you're a lawyer. Mm -hmm. um, when the reality is often that it's just plain hard work, right? So yeah. I, I remember years ago, a, a colleague at a restaurant here in Vancouver, he said, uh, you know, what is it like being uh, a lawyer? Is it like being a lawyer on TV? And I thought, wow, no, is it ever not? But how can I answer this question in a way that is going to be meaningful to this guy? And I said, it's, it's, it's being a lawyer is about as similar to being a TV lawyer as being a line cook is to being a celebrity chef. And uh, this guy went, <laughs> oh, okay, I get it. And, and that's the true reality in both careers for a long, long time, right? You have these hopefully great products at the end of a bunch of work. Mm -hmm. But as I like to say, nobody wants to watch 12 hours of document review or 12 hours of vegetable prep on a TV show, <laughs> right? And that's the realities yeah. of the jobs. Yeah. No, that's interesting. It, it, for yourself, when going back to your career as, of being a lawyer, what was the so for someone who's doing that vegetable prep the end goal would be to be a chef or uh, maybe to do food development or be in a different position for you what was that goal then of doing all of that hard work the like being in the trenches doing the stuff day in and day out what was what's that look like for a lawyer in their career what were you working towards yeah, it's a really good question. I think if I'm honest, in part, it was trying to resolve in my own mind whether I should have been, should have been a chef, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think everybody goes through these moments in their careers where they're like, is this, is this all there is? And is this really what I want to be doing? And so there was some exploration around that. And this was a way for me to dip my toe in a, into it and try it out. Um, and it was, it was super helpful from that point of view. I absolutely loved my time there, but I concluded fairly quickly and age would have been a part of it. Like, no, this is not right for me in, you know, yeah. starting in my early forties and, and trying to, um, build up into a full-time long-term career in cooking. So to the extent that 
thought was rattling around in my head, my uh, exploring cooking helped to answer that. But then the other thing was really tied back to that serious amateur cooking class thing. I just wanted to develop my skills. And, you know, you can only cook, or I could anyway, you can only cook so much at home, right? Before you got a fridge full of leftovers. Yeah, definitely. So if you were to flip that then, say we're, you know, my audience is primarily mostly people in the food industry. I know a lot of people that are like in that spot, in that space where it's like, is this really what I want to do? Um, What would your advice be to them uh, to kind of, in the, in, the, in the vein of exploration and the idea of trying to find things that make them passionate, make them excited to get out of bed in the morning, like what's your advice for someone who feels kind of stuck and unsure if they've made that right decision for themselves? I would talk to people would be my first uh, piece of advice. I think like try to identify people who are in careers that you think might be interesting to you or, or positions within, say, if you're thinking you do want to stay within hospitality Um, but you're not sure about what the other opportunities are out there. Identify Mm -hmm. people. I have found over time that if you don't waste people's time, people are pretty generous with their time. So I would reach out and even cold call people, right? That's what I did with this chef in, in 2007, I think it was. I just, I wrote a letter. It wasn't even an email. It was a letter, like a physical paper letter that I put in the mail. And so I would say that is probably the best first step. And then everybody's circumstances are different, right? So most of us have to keep a job to pay the, pay the bills while we're exploring other things. But look for ways, you know, my volunteering staging experience is one example. Uh, I just tacked that on to my existing full-time job, right? And for, hmm. for quite a while, for a couple of years before... I actually entered the industry and and started working professionally in it. So maybe I'm a a bit conservative by nature, but for me, it wouldn't have worked and uh, wasn't my approach to just say, that's it, I'm quitting this career, I'm going to go full on into this. So I would look for ways to dip your toe in different fields. Oh, and, and, and that comes back to this whole notion of what jobs are actually like, right? Because you might think, Mm -hmm. yeah, I totally want to be whatever. I want to be a corporate chef in charge of the food program on cruise ships or something. And maybe that could be super cool, or maybe it could be a nightmare depending on what your interests are. So uh, yeah, dip your toe into things, try them out. What your interests are, and then also what your skill set is. I find that there's a lot of people that they are really good at stuff, and they'd actually probably find a lot of satisfaction in certain roles. But because the job at title itself isn't glamorous, then like it would. Like I remember during COVID, I made a pivot into food manufacturing, and one of my first jobs, it sounded like on paper, it kind of sounded drab, like boring. When I actually got into it, I actually really enjoyed it, and I found out that I was pretty good at it. And it was like being pretty good at something, actually enjoying the process. This is post-COVID, so actually finding work outside of kitchens because no one was hiring that I also was good at. Like Doing that was really important for me. And I think that a lot of times we get caught up on titles. We get caught up on like what people will think of it. And I've t- learned that like if you take jobs that are like more that you know you're going to be good at, that you can learn from, that your skill set is going to increase, but also aligns with the skills you've already built out, I feel like those are really beneficial. And it's just not a lot of people really understand that. Have you found that to be true in both like fields of seeing people be successful in food and then also yourself as a lawyer? Yeah, I think that's a really good point, right? A really important point. And my 
add on to that would be, and it's really just consistent with everything you've said, is I think it's a good piece of advice for people to be super honest with themselves to the extent you can and sit down and inventory, take out a piece of paper, write down what your skills are, write down what your goals are, write down what your values are and see what aligns with that, right? Because I think we do get, like it wasn't easy for me to step away from the world of law for a while because for most of my adult life when people said to me what do you do i had a very easy answer right i'm a lawyer oh wow mm -hmm. and people seem to be impressed by that but i needed to explore is it more important to me to look at other uh industries at other pursuits irrespective of this title and i think certainly i can say this Knowing myself and a bunch of friends and colleagues who are all roughly around my age and stage, which is to say middle age, you get way more comfortable with who you are and way more willing to just do the job that you want to do or do the pursuit that you want to do because it matches with your skills and interests and values and way less wedded to these titles, I think. So So you at 25, did you say? Mm -hmm. to be aware of that and to be um, planning your life on that, I think you're light years ahead of, of most people your age is my guess. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a really good example to others, like really spend time thinking about not just what you want, but where your skills are and don't worry so much about prestige title, all of that kind of stuff. Well, thanks for it, saying it, that. Yeah. <laughs> And I think, no, and I, I really do think that it's important because for me, like when I got into cooking, I wanted to be the Michelin star chef, the person that had all the awards and accolades. But I, what, I, what I realized is like, I could work really hard at that, but I wasn't enjoying it. I remember I had this realization when I was a line cook uh, in 2018. This is before I started to get into food management. I like was on the line and I was working and like I had just done a really good service and like everything was good, but I was just like, did I just enjoy that? Was that I was I really happy with what I like the time I just spent? And I was like, no, it kind of like I was waiting for the day to be done. I'm waiting for my days off. I wasn't enjoying the rush of fine dining, the rush of being a line cook in that situation. And that doesn't mean not any like there's tons of people that do. Um, but I know a lot of people that aren't happy and they pursue things because there's like the sunk cost fallacy of like, well, I've been doing it so far. And like, if, if I just suffer enough, I'll get this award. But if you spend all these years at a thing at a goal that you're not actually not even happy about the process of doing, then what's the point of that goal? Because once that comes, especially in food, it comes and goes so quickly. And it's like, what are you going to fall back on when that's accomplished or that if it's never accomplished and what are those years and that time spent mean to you? Exactly. I think it's a great point. I think you need to be happy and you know, you're going to have bad days and bad shifts and with whatever you're doing. But I think by and large, you want to make sure you're happy doing what you're doing when you're doing it and, yeah. and doing stuff for awards. Again, maybe it's me getting older. I might have mattered to me more earlier in my career, but now it just, um, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And, and you know, the, the longer you work in these industries, how the award programs work and what matters to people and all of this stuff shifts over time. And you really want to be working 14, 16, 18 hour days to to get some star rating. Again, people who want to do it, more power to you. Go fill your boots. I just I just hope, genuinely hope that people doing that are happy in the process too. And I feel like food is very unique in that it does have, I mean, maybe like the music industry, like an in, uh, industry that 
is a commodity but also has a lot of artistic value to it, I feel like has that kind of double-edged sword of awards and accolades. Being a lawyer, is there like a position that everyone wants to be at, but when you were working at it, you're like, yeah, maybe it's not all it's meant to be? Is there even a title for, or a role for, like that? For, for sure. I mean, there it's not as... Um uh, easy to define, right? There's not a three Michelin star, but there are ranking systems and ratings and reviews and that kind of thing. But there are plenty of lawyers. And when I started out, I was closer to being one of them than I am now, certainly. But plenty of lawyers who want to be uh, the partner in a big firm and have the corner office and make a lot of money and, uh, you know, get prestigious uh, clients and work and all that kind of thing. For sure. And again, there are people who do that. And if that genuinely satisfies them, then fantastic. I just knew that for me, even if I could have done that, um, you know, devoting all of the necessary time and, and resources to accomplish it, I just didn't want to because it wouldn't leave time for anything else in my life or not enough time for other things in my life. And I, and I think people do get, you know, I, I observe a lot of lawyers over time and I think people do get, this is another similarity between lawyers and chefs, you, you can get addicted to praise and accolades um, and in the legal world to money, right, as your salary keeps going up. You see a lot of people continuing to work horrific uh, schedules, um, but maybe they convince themselves it's worth doing because they're making a lot of money, but then your lifestyle expenses just go up. So <laughs> for me, yeah. it was better to try to get off that whole train. Interesting. Yeah, no, that's good to hear. And so for one last thing, I know we're coming up on 30 minutes here soon. Um, one last thing I want to ask is like, you know, I feel like the, the restaurant industry especially is kind of has this like lawless feeling. And I think there's more like structure coming over like the last few years, but it's more chaotic. Whereas I feel like a lawyer's world, there's a little bit more structure. There's more walls and like lines to play in. For you personally, where do you feel like you fit better? Do you fit better in a more structured, molded environment or one that is a little bit more chaotic, like a kitchen? <laughs> That's a great question. And I'm not sure of the answer to it. I think my, my gut is that I probably fit a little bit better into a more molded, structured uh, environment. Um, it, but I'm, I'm probably closer to... Um, align toward the unstructured than than many lawyers and that might explain why i'm interested in kitchens and interested in spending time in them right yeah. um and i think i think kitchens are changing for the better in a lot of ways and i think they are i think the legal world in my experience at least is a little bit ahead in terms of uh supports to people and expectations and work-life balance and that kind of thing. That's not to say there, that there are not problems still. There certainly are. Um, but I think that is changing. And there are probably more supports available that I've observed over time than there are in the kitchen world. So another similarity, for example, that is not a good one, is that both careers, um, as do many, but certainly law and cooking, have uh share some darker similarities and i'm thinking particularly of addiction issues right mm -hmm. and there there are more concrete uh to my knowledge programs in the the legal world um because people have been struggling with those issues for a long long time and they the development of those programs started earlier it's really good to see that starting in the hospitality world too i would agree no definitely well thanks for that perspective Last question for you uh, before we head off is, um, I know following you on LinkedIn, you're working on some miso right now. 
What's a quick story behind you making miso? What was the inspiration behind that? Yeah, that really started with uh, a very good friend of uh, mine and my wife's, our friend Gerald, uh, and he lives here on the Sunshine Coast of British Columbia, where we do as well. And he is a bonsai master, and we bought a little bonsai from him and got to know him through that process. And he studied in Japan ages ago, uh, met his wife there, and uh, got married, I don't know, 30-odd years ago. Anyway, all to say, he and his wife now live on the Sunshine Coast of BC, and she, Naoko, is really into food. And they invited us over last fall and said, um, would you like to come over and, and make homemade miso? And I was like, <laughs> absolutely. So we spent a really fun morning mashing up soybeans and adding salt and then this Koji inoculated rice, and it's been fermenting in our garage for the last, whatever that is, six, seven months. Nice. And so I, I just took some out recently and started using it. And Gerald recommended, you know, take some out now um, and, and work with it, see what you like about it, but leave the remainder to keep fermenting. And we've got, I don't know, quite a lot of it. And um, so that's what I've done. So I'm working with it now, put it in a few things. Uh, I've made some more or less. This morning was less successful miso sourdough, uh, but okay. I did turn out a few good loaves a couple of uh, about a week ago. So, yeah, so that's what's going on there. And again, just another fun project related to the food world that I feel grateful to have the time to enjoy. Awesome, good to hear. <laughs> Perfect. Well, if you want to share now where people can find you, I think that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. So everything is at Cheftimony which is, uh, as as people may have picked up already, given the chef-lawyer uh, connection, it's like testimony, but with chef. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Instagram is probably where I'm most active, uh, cheftimony.com. All of the podcast episodes are there, Apple, Spotify, all the usual places. Perfect. Awesome. Well, Graham, thank you so much for coming on the show. My pleasure, Ray. Thanks for, uh, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. Of course. So there you have the interview with Graham from the Chef Timoni podcast. Be sure to go check it out. Be sure to go listen to it. And thank you all for listening this week. If you are listening on Apple or Spotify, please leave a review. Go to linecookthoughts.com and hit subscribe after putting in your email to get the Prepless Items newsletter. Go check out Graham's show, and I will see you on the next Line Cook Thoughts podcast. Thank you.